I've got the little fucking sweetie man over here. Got your sweetie. Jesus. Fucking runt. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Doc. You disintegrated Einstein. Disintegrated Einstein. And Einstein. Welcome to Science at the Movies, a podcast that looks at the role of science in some of our best loved and most hated movies. I'm Abby. I'm Frida. And this week's episode, we're talking about District 9. But first. <laughs> but first. Any, but first. Any, any news, anything to share with the group? Um, I don't think so. We're back from a break. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Mm. <laughs> Good to How be back. You? How was the break? Oh yeah, five weeks in the future. So yeah, in in five weeks, let me just say, let's make a prediction. I've just What's come happened? back from a ski trip. <laughs> it was amazing. I wasn't sure whether or not the mountains were going to open up or not, given the lockdown five weeks ago. But I'm so <laughs> glad they did. I've been skiing up a storm. I've been skiing down those mountains with the wind in my hair whistling by my ears wow it's so good to be back on the slopes i think we broke frida <laughs> i hope so anyway <laughs> yeah. um but yeah that's nothing else the break was good um shall we get into it we're here to talk about district nine um are you ready yes Peter Jackson presents, um, who do you think he is? George Lucas. He's as good as. I know he is. It's true. Okay, here we go. Here's my summary for District 9. In the not too distant future, an enormous spacecraft came to a stop over Johannesburg, South Africa, holding a million odd malnourished and leaderless part crustacean part humanoid aliens, prawns, who under the watch of multinational United MNU were allowed to settle in refugee camps. 20 years later, MNU is moving them out to surreptitiously confiscate the bioprinted alien weapons that are scattered among the alien camp. Unsuspecting, unassuming middleman Vickers van der Merwe is put in charge of the resettlement operation. It was almost as big as his wedding day, but you know, not as big. Vickers loves making things for his wife, a real life angel, and the daughter of the head of MNU, confiscating alien contraband and the popping sound that prawn eggs makes when you blowtorch them, almost like a, like a popcorn. <laughs> anyway, when Vickers stumbles across the shanty hut of sharper than the rest, Christopher Johnson, he is exposed to alien fuel and slowly begins to change into a prawn, but not before shitting his pants at his own surprise party. <laughs> Suddenly, Vickers sees the dark side of MNU and is thrown into a desperate race to escape his own terrible fate. The only place he can take refuge is District 9. Abby, what did you think of this movie? The movie or your accents? Because they've returned. <laughs> I think that's sorry, your best but... so far. I think it's your best so far. <laughs> I have years of practice. Years of practice. I love Vickers. 
Um, oh god this movie uh, I love and hate it at the same time ah that's that's interesting and it will make for a good episode today so that's good news <laughs> well good I yeah I let's start with why you loved it okay let's start with why you loved because it because it's an entirely different approach to an alien movie because it's not alien invasion blow shit up it's not um like creepy scary alien on spaceship it's i've in terms of as an alien movie i've never seen anything like it before and i don't think there is any other alien movie out there like it yeah um yeah i agree it's an entirely new retelling of an alien invasion well i I just on that while, while while we're talking about that and specifically like the way alien human relations are presented in the movie also it's not it's not an idea that that uh, we've ever seen either in terms of them being vulnerable and having to be in refugee camps that what did you think about that aspect of of things uh so yeah so then that 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 was my part of i hate how it makes me feel oh you hate i know i i okay. never enjoy movies where i watch it and think that could be a real thing mhm so yeah which is good science fiction, right? When sci- when good science fiction is like, is really projecting us into a place where we, we know it's not far off. That's when it's really yeah. good because it makes you kind of uh, like watch it differently. It's, it's really funny though as well because like, so it's really tense. It's really sad. It makes me cry every time I've seen it. But what I find really interesting is I I got it. I said this earlier to my boyfriend and he had a moment where he was just like, you don't understand Star Trek. <laughs> I was like, he was like, you, the whole thing apparently about Star Trek is there's this Bit whole... Bit of mansplaining. <laughs> yeah. But he was like, there's this whole backstory of Star Trek about um, like that there was a third world war and that there was a lot of, that there was a lot of crap that the earth went through before Star Trek got before we got into the world of the utopia of Star Trek and the reason it came up was because I was just saying about how fascinated I was that like things like shows like Star Trek or Stargate and other kind of movies and tv shows will always depict humanity as we're like the saviors you know where where you underestimate us we're the underdog and we're just explorers and trepid and out there and we go to the planets and we find aliens in need and we're like oh we'll help them and i felt like this movie is like no that's that's what would really happen like that's that's what we're that's what we are yeah (laughs) like we're not that you know we're not these like people in like in our uniforms out there saving the universe and exploring and being kind we're yeah yeah Uh, yeah Yeah. and and it just shows you like how easy it is for humans to other one another when they look differently we other each other like that's kind of what we do it's um, I'll just bring it back to the the movie uh, like itself in terms of the production mm-hmm. and something I really I think is like really amazing about this movie which again like why it's an alien story which is so different is that you know it's like this documentary style yeah um, and it's like the handheld camera 
and it's sort of improvised and it just makes you feel like or made me feel like I was right there. Right. And so this is the first full-length feature by the director, Neil Blomkamp, and it was adapted from a short film he made called Alive in Joburg, um, which was sort of just a short story version of this and was shot on location in Soweto, um, southwest township in Joburg, which is like the shanty town or the it's the no, that's not the right word for it. But yeah, it's the it's the equivalent um, of this kind of place that sort of arise during apartheid. Now, uh, Chateau Copley, who plays Vickers, is actually Bomcamp's childhood friend. Oh, and I did he not was know originally that. sorry. Yes. Yes, he was his childhood friend, longtime collaborator as well. And he was originally supposed to be in a producer type role. But when they needed to make a little sort of example for the investors, um, he just sort of put on Vickers's flak jacket and Blomkamp was like, all right, you just play Vickers. And he started improvising and and he was like, this is so good. You must play Vickers. Wow. And and so most, if not all of his dialogue is actually improvised. Wow. So what did you think of Chateau Copley as Vickers? Oh, what did I think of him as Vickers? Wonderful. He's fantastic. What did I think of Vickers? I fucking hate him. You hate Vickers? <laughs> I hate him so much. <laughs> we, At the yeah, beginning, I, mean... I enjoy him. And then it gets a little bit more into it. And I'm like, oh, you're just the same as the rest of them. And by the end, I'm like, you suck. You totally suck. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely going to bring up a little bit more about this in a little yeah. bit. So let's hold off. But okay. I mean, I loved his whole, like, apparently when they showed District 9 to South African audiences, they were laughing their heads off at him because apparently he's, he's such funny. a guy. He's, he's so- such a... <laughs> He's such yeah. a kind of South African type. All those duck, all those little bits, like in the office and the thing when he's trying to be a bit cool to the camera and stuff. It's great. Yeah. It's re- it's great. He plays it very. He plays so it good. so well. And I suppose, like, I I say I hate him, but like, I suppose in terms of like the character and what the character goes through, it's like, you know, the character's going through his own fear. Um. As, as the things are happening to him and his own kind of trauma and stuff. So I get why his responses are responses of fear. But yeah, I was just, I think, but I think that's a testament as well to how well the actor plays it when you're like, I don't think I'm supposed to like this character. Yeah. There's a, well, a humanity he, to him I should kind of connect with yeah. at the beginning. But I, I, I watch the movie and I feel like I'm supposed to like the aliens. I'm not supposed to like the humans. And Mm-hmm. Vickers, even though he goes on this journey um, and kind of connects, becomes one of them, I still, I'm like, no, I still don't like you. Yeah, I, I, I think the effect of his, his like ordinariness is uh, we're supposed to relate to him yeah. as the ordinary guy, and and we're supposed to be like, well, that would be me in this situation, probably, which is uncomfortable, right. obviously, um, but. Yeah, he's he's so funny. Like he's so funny. I love his whole like. As you can see, almost like a halo <laughs> on this picture from this camera of it. Like every, he's just so funny. Um, I really loved it, and I really love this surprise party scene. I mean, yeah, it's very. Yeah, good. His wife as well. He's like, 
Ah, oh, Vicky likes to make me things. And it's just the whole scene where he's like, I think I'm about to shit my pants. And then it's like, surprise! <laughs> <laughs> Why oh, is it so funny? See, it's this so is the, funny. It's so weird, isn't it? Because we just take it so like, because uh, I see those bits as being funny, but I I never really They're got, funny. I never really got that level of humor from it. So, I just always found it just sad. so cringe. Uh, it, okay. Because his character, he's just kind of this pathetic guy. Like, you know, he's not a guy that things work out well for. He's a guy yeah. who would shit his pants at his own surprise party. And like, you know, it's like, he's not, he's not like, yeah, anyway, right. he's funny. Okay. So that's Charlotte Copley. And Charlotte Copley, he went on to star in more Neil, uh, Blomkamp's movies. He's in, a, he's in the, he's in Elysium as well. He is one of the writers for just for the sequel. Oh, cool. I saw that. Yeah, he's a pretty talented, talented Mm -hmm. guy. Now, there's another person we should probably highlight in the movie, and that is Jason Cope. Abby, can you tell us who does Jason Cope play in this movie? Oh, yeah. So I watched the whole movie and all the little snippet interview bits with him as um, Gray Bradham. Yeah, Gray Bradham talking about like the story and what's happened and everything and it was only like towards the end of the movie I was like oh I wonder who played Christopher I looked it up and I was like it's that dude Jason Cope yeah yeah he does yeah he does his interview bits but I mean does he play Christopher Johnson I think that they had him stand in for whenever they needed a human to do every time they needed a prawn to have a human being stand in he did it yeah so Christopher Johnson was sometimes needed him, sometimes didn't, but he he did a lot of so he was just the guy that did all of the thing, all of all of that. Whenever they needed a human to do a thing, like it was him. So he does he does he plays a lot of them. Yeah. All right. So themes of the movie. I mean, it's obviously everyone knows it's like a direct analogy for apartheid in South Africa. So I guess. Thematically, they're talking about othering, being othered, mm. I suppose. The experience of being othered as a, as a white man when you have to go and be on the other side of the fence um, and experiencing what that's, what that's like. Well, yeah, I mean, but that, that is like something that I, I, I think I did write a little note um, somewhere yeah I was just saying it shows like the, what it does is it shows how little allegiance we have to each other because as soon oh, as he's in any way different then he's treated as them as you said he is now mm-hmm. other and then he doesn't so he's in that position then where he's kind of like uh, the only people that I can now turn to are the people that I have been treating this way I mean people aliens mm-hmm. but you know if for, for the analogy like so yeah it's it's that kind of interesting thing where we don't learn like the people involved like does Vickers learn anything from it does he learn anything from this othering does he realize I shouldn't be treating these or is it just more of a kind of like I don't have an option anymore so now I must go and join this group and I it, it kind of comes across a little bit more like that to for me mm. that the the point is that we never really learn our lesson we keep doing this over and over and over again because so long as you're on the side that is not being, as you said, othered, you will stay and strive to be on that side. 
Absolutely. And it's almost like this thing where they just think the prawns are disgusting and they want them to go away. Like, when you just say, these things are gross and I, they just need to go. Uh, you know, that's what the yeah. people that live in the area think. And Vickers' wife, she's just like, I can't with you. Like, I, you just have to disappear. Yeah. And she kind of comes around, but Does her she, reaction was like, well, she makes that call. She's like, oh, I thought it was a trap. Be- the first call, I think, was a trap where she was like, I can't, I can't. Yeah. But I think that she's called him quietly later on because she's, she's sort of right. is like, I miss him and everything. Yeah. So she can acknowledge that her husband is still her husband. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought she was kind of weak. <laughs> right. Like, she didn't take long to crumple and just be like, please go away. I can't see you. But even like looking at them, like looking at these these aliens that are supposed to be these gross things, but they depict them in a way for me where I'm like, they're just trying to survive. Mate, mm-hmm. I went for a cup of coffee today and a man hit a duck and I lost it. <laughs> I forgot that that happened. With his car? No, we were sitting outside With and there's a, there's a duck. And um, he shooed the duck away. And I was like, all right, fine. You you know, you don't need to be that. Like he chased the duck, shooing it. And then the duck came back and he picked up his bag and he whacked the duck with his bag and went to chase it, whacking it. And I literally just shouted out, hey, do not hit that duck. And he's like, the duck's fine. He's pecking. I assure you that duck's fine. And I was like, no, I don't care. Do not hit that Step duck. away from the duck, sir. It's an animal. It doesn't understand. It doesn't understand what you're saying. It doesn't understand what you're doing. It is an animal who just wants to look for food and wants to survive. And you don't get to decide that because, oh, you know, you're he's pecking around your feet. Therefore, you get to be abusive towards that animal. I can't. I can't. I get really angry. Sorry. <laughs> That's my interlude. <laughs> Don't hit ducks around Abby. I will fuck you up. <laughs> oh my god, totally. Sorry. That took a That's turn. Okay. But it, it took I, a turn, I, but it it, it I is. had something that I wanted to say yeah. and I've completely sorry. forgot it. It's totally fine. But uh <laughs> But uh yeah, I mean even if it, you think, oh they're prawns, they look like crustaceans. How can I possibly not other them? You get over it. Eventually, your mind gets used to it and you will see the humanity and dignity inside them and everything like that. Um, But let's, without further ado, let's get into our tropes. Mm -hmm. Um, I have one like little one and then my main one. But Abby, you go first. What is your trope of the week? Army dick bully guy. Oh, Oh my God, that was kind of my first one-ish. Oh. Yeah. It's just this yeah. whole thing like, you know, oh, Vickers is a dweeb. I don't have to listen to him because I'm so big and hard. And just, you know, just the whole attitude, like a laughing at him and everything. It's like, really? Really? Does the does the army train you to be a disrespectful douchebag? No, you're just a typical fucking movie trope guy. Just classic. Yeah. Class. I just, oh, I hated him so much. I liked his comeuppance at the end though. Head torn, but but he's right like off. he's like beautiful. I know I have that kind of written here, but um, he's kind of like the shitty army guy because multinational united they're a private company, so they need mm. their like 
people that will do whatever he's they the want. He's the dishonorable discharge that they're paying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. What movie did we bring that up in uh, Enemy of the State? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Shitty army people, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the first trope that I had written here, which was like my honorable mention, was this. It's going to be quick over a montage, right? Yeah. It's going to be quick. It's going to be clean. But most of all, it's going to be quiet. <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> so tropey. Unbelievable. But my main trope, which kind of, it, it kind of leads back into that trope. But my main trope is like, I just, we just have to mention the white savior trope. It just has yeah. to be told. The story of this race has to be told through the eye of so-called one of us so that we can sympathize and learn their plight. And, you know, and then linked into that is the idea of going native, right? Mm. When you become the thing and you become aware of how shit humans are, right? So it's like the only way for this white person to realize that these people have humanity is to become one of them. And only then that he sees inside yeah. the culture, same as Avatar, da, 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 does he see the value and everything like that. And it's it's like the story of that race are completely unimportant. Like those people do not have their stories. Only once the central white savior character realizes it and then helps. And then he's the hero somehow, right? Mm. He's not he my fucking hero. he becomes the hero. Right, like because he... <laughs> comes around at the end we're supposed to he's not a hero but yeah yeah like their stories are unimportant it's all about how they're perceived by our central uh white character um and then of course like the colonizers like that scene where the colonizer himself like your shitty army guy is killed by the savages you know and how is he killed by these savages he's ripped apart limb by limb you know like you know what i mean because they're savage like that's how he has to be killed. Yeah, it's so true. And I'm and I, do you know what? I think that's that's such a good point and trope to bring up because I never really think about it to that level of like how every movie where there's somebody who is different, we always have to learn the lesson, as you said, through somebody that we are apparently supposed to be able to relate to, and then they go through the the transformation by becoming one of them. Or, yeah. or being subjected to the same plights as them. And then we learn and we understand that we're all just surviving yeah. and we should have empathy and care. And I'm kind of really fed up of that. Like, I don't... What, what that does is it perpetuates this idea in our real world that the only possible way we could understand what other people are going through is by being them. We do not have to have their stories be secondary to the white person discovering themselves. But can, can I get something out of the way? Yes. Um, about this movie, like kind of now. Um, I love a message. Obviously, I love a, a you know, you know, I love an emotional message or a moral lesson, you know, from a science fiction movie. But this movie is like this direct analogy to apartheid, mm. which I don't think direct analogies are as exciting as sort of an emergent message that comes through the movie. And and more to the point, I just think that if you want to tell a story about apartheid, tell a story about apartheid, right? Right. But make when you make it this and you make it like <laughs> the analogy of black people, what you're making them a race of bottom feeding prawns and making them completely unrecognizable as humans, like that's kind of horrifying to me that that's the analogy for black people. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just, I, I think it's funny because this movie, obviously, like, it's awesome on that level of terms of filmmaker. Like, it really is amazing. But then there's this other reaction to it, which is like, really? You're going to tell a story about black people and what do you make to represent the black people? These prawns that are not human and are disgusting and pee on everything and live in these shacks and are gross and leaderless and just like do you know what I mean and then and then you have like this one character like oh he's new the prawns we're intelligent you know this (laughs) one guy it's like that's how you're representing black people I mean isn't that deeply upsetting on on its face like that's how you need to tell the story of black people yeah like it's it bothers me it bothers me a lot and then there's um, do you know what I mean? I think yeah. I I yes. That sounds <laughs> like weird. It, it, that sounds weird the way I said. I just I I struggle with this kind of stuff because I feel like these are the types of things that we should absolutely talk about. But I also feel completely uneducated in this area, yeah. and I feel like I just really, I I just I just want to be careful of how I speak because mm. I'm not educated about apartheid and. And I should like I should be more educated about a lot of things, but there's a lot of things in this world that I don't have enough yeah. information on. Um, but what I what I will say about it is I completely take your point, and I think I think that what you're saying is correct. Uh, but I also think that m- from when I saw the movie, my immediate reaction because I didn't know the first time <laughs> I saw it, I didn't know that it was an analogy for apartheid. Uh, but I I immediately recognized it in my mind as a refugee story yeah yeah and, and I think that that's I, yes and yes. when I saw it that's what I took away from it I was like you have yeah. made a movie that has made me feel emotion and sadness and care for an alien being in a way that has made me so angry about the real world about mm-hmm. the fact that you can have people sit down and feel this emotion for something that is as you said very grotesque and you can go and you can go oh but look at the baby alien and the and like oh and they're just trying to help and they're just trying to get home and they're just trying to this and they're just trying to that yet you'll see the fucking news and it'll be like no send them back to where they came from or we don't want them here and you're like it's you can't have it both ways yeah yeah so we've gotten we've gotten that out of the way largely (laughs) like that 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 yeah i have a lot of feels about this no but like that's i don't think you can really talk about this movie i like as if we were going to just talk about this movie like great action cool science like there's a whole other element to it and like it, it does need to be spoken about um but let's get into some science lasers science spaceships. this movie does have a lot of lasers spaceships so much stuff there's actually a few interesting things there's like a few good things to cover a few pretty random things to cover but first there's actually really there are a couple of environments of science here so let's highlight a couple of those as as well as the scientists that inhabit those environments (laughs) number one we have the top secret mnu lab what do you think about this whole place? Firstly, do you think that something like this actually exists in real life? Oh, a secret experimental lab. Is that what you're asking yeah. me? <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Probably for something. Probably. I don't know what for, <laughs> but probably not aliens. <laughs> really? <laughs> 
No, we've Maybe they're experimenting this. on like deep sea creatures or some China. I believe. Oh God, I don't want to. I don't want to bring us back to the like. Well, sorry. I'm just trying to think about because sometimes just the way I speak, I'll be like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. That's depressing. And it's like, yeah, but it's real world, and you shouldn't talk. We'll, about ta- we'll like talk that. about that anyway, later. Yeah, but we'll talk about the lab. Just just stick to the lab now. Yeah. What do you think of the lab? If do I are you still asking me if I think it exists? Well, not if you think it exists. Well, let's talk specifically about, can I just say about the technicians and the scientists inside the lab itself? Because there are loads of these like faceless, nameless, (laughs) faceless, nameless lab technicians that are just kind of, you know, kettle prods taking pictures of horrifying stuff and just kind of like not seeming, they're just being like, yep, it's just the old job. How did that (laughs) make you feel yeah that was weird actually when you kind of think and like when they get are, are we talking about like when he starts to turn yeah yeah yeah, yeah and, they like, get it, and then suddenly like he is immediately just a specimen like he's no mm. longer a person to them anymore and that shows you where their priorities are because their priorities do yeah. not lie with the preservation of anything or or scientific curiosity it is weaponry and it is probably financially Ah, motivated and i guess they just have become so desensitized that they're just like it doesn't even matter this guy's a person with an alien hand it's like whatever this is all about weapons it doesn't seem to be like rigorous scientific stuff yeah they just want to get to the end point of like can he shoot the guns you know how fast is he changing how much time do we have before he's just a prawn and not valuable to us like that's the only thing they care about but yeah and then but then even the point (laughs) You've just reminded me of the scene where they're all standing over him talking about him as if he can't hear them. Like that's mm-hmm. the level of how un how like how little uh humanity he has for like in their eyes at that stage. Yeah, so he's already gone. About, like yeah, it's like oh it'll take this long or we can mm. uh, we can preserve this or whatever it is, and it's like he is fully awake and listening to you, and you don't even have the dignity to like. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Like, he's a specimen. It's a foregone conclusion that this guy is absolutely fucked. Like, he'll spend the rest of his life in a lab. It's it. Like, the way they zip him up in the, in the air, I found oh, that really yeah. confronting, actually. Like, yeah, yeah, he's no, like, that's it. He's an yeah. asset. Um, asset, uh, that's yeah. the word, he's an asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the scientists, the way, that, you know, every now and then you saw a face of a scientist, they were just completely expressionless the whole mm. time. I, it's just so, it was so upsetting. Like, <laughs> the, who are the, uh, who are these people and what have they been doing? They're, they're, you're right, they're probably so used to experimenting on aliens that they're just it's not even a thing anymore they're like whatever but also like you said they're the you know with the is same with the army guy these are all the discredited scientists that have been kicked out of all the universities (laughs) it's not like they're publishing papers it's not like they're publishing any of their findings they don't have to use any scientific rigor whatsoever do they they don't have to worry about the way that they're like experimental conditions leading to causal inference and good conclusions like no 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 they're just like caddy shoot the gun you know <laughs> terrible oh, uh so that's that's the first environment of science i wanted to talk about but there's another one which is like the makeshift lab of old mate christopher johnson um that was pretty crazy wasn't it built on top of the ship module it's pretty cool wasn't it i love it i loved it 
I love that he used weapons as a cover for what he was doing as well. It's like very, he's so clever. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. great. I like. I just I like that like all the old bits of technology and just like that that idea that you could like the kinds of things that you would be able to put together and create with what you could find. And it also weirdly kind of shows a little bit of how frivolous we are with the things that we have instead of just kind of reusing and reworking and finding new ways to rewire things that we have. We just toss them and get a new one. Mm. Yeah. And they, they call them scavengers, bottom feeders because they're just, going through our waste and taking out things that are actually quite valuable. But mm. I just, it just occurred to me that they go, oh, scavengers, scavengers, you're not ordering things new from, from, you know, apple.com. You yeah. Scavenger. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Tinkering. I, yeah. Um, I love the, the chemical setup with the fuel and mm. the way he's like carefully pouring it and the way that the fuel kind of, goes on the thing and it's like in the I just love the whole setup I love how like makeshift and sort of dirty it was and it just it was so cool it was a really cool cool bit I liked that it's um it you immediately think it's some sort of a drugs lab and then you think it's some sort of a weapon once Mm. Vickers has the reaction with it and yeah, it's like it, they, they've set it up to make you think that it's like this nefarious action because you still think the aliens are going to be have some plan, mm. you know, because we, we've all been trained to think that way. But um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's just like, no, it's just t- yeah trying to get some fuel. Um, and well, we have our sort of like scientist character in Christopher Johnson and he has his little son with him, his, his clever little boy. Um. I like that I'm calling him a boy. Um, but what did you think of this engineer character, Christopher Johnson? Our, our main scientist, if you will. <laughs> what did you think about him? I didn't even think I was... I'm so sorry. I, just, I didn't even think about him as a scientist. He totally is. No, you're right. He really, really is. Here he makes well, the he's bomb. the yeah, like, you're right. I like he's the engineer, scene. and it, I I enjoy. Do you know what I enjoy? I enjoy how kind of how his story is very um, not open ended. That's not the right way to say it. I don't think, but like it's there's some mystery in his story. Like they put some mystery in the whole story about how the module was dropped anyway, and that like you know was it done on purpose and whatever. But yeah, it's like who is he really? Like, mm. you know, how does he know where the module was? How does he know how to create that fuel? Where is he going to get help? And, you know, what's the real story? But yeah, yeah I found I, I found it very interesting. And I and I liked him. I liked how clever he was. I liked this whole thing that like he kind of he knew. He had adapted Yes. better than others he, he, uh, he knew but, to be polite yeah that was when you really know he's sharp because he That's says be thing. polite yeah, yeah. and, and I, he's like i'm this... sorry i'm sorry yeah like he apologized to them i mean it was all very colonial it was really horrible actually yeah, but it was the humiliation that he has to suffer but he he also like he's affected by how much he's humiliated yeah i think yeah oh my god yeah. i really love that whole sequence the, the, the little sweetie man you fucking prod Oh, come here, little fucking rat. That's the moment. That's yeah, that's, that's the moment same. for me. The first moment where I mean, you, there was yeah. moments, yeah, where you're just kind of like, mm, 
I don't you're just you know you're there there was bits throughout where you're like oh I don't like this and you're a middleman but whatever but it was that moment with the with the son mm. where I was just like no you're fucking pricking I hate you you're, you're <laughs> just like everybody else yeah uh, yeah, like, like how do you, you not really see think. that that's a child? Like, how do you not fucking look at that and see that see a child? I don't yeah. care oh, that didn't it take a sweet. It's a child. Yeah. How dare he not thank me for this sweet? Yeah, prick. Got, yeah, like that. That was no. That was difficult. That was a difficult bit. Uh, I reckon Christopher Johnson is definitely kind of like a captain of the ship. I mm. think that he detached. He came down with the module. They detached. I don't know what happened, whether they ran out of fuel or I don't know, but he's obviously some sort of captain of the ship. Right. Where where the rest of the leadership is, I don't know why they don't have more. Le- oh, they would have died or something like that. But he, he would have been, um, yeah, he would have been like the captain and he's, he's flying back. Who knows what for? Probably mm-hmm. to come back, wage war, turn everybody into prawns now that he knows that it does that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the yeah. best plan, isn't it? To, to say, well, fuck you guys. You guys are all going to become one of us. Mm. You'll know. Yeah. Um, so that's Christopher Johnson and his son. His son is very, very cute. I love the fact that, I mean, we can segue actually because I wanted to talk about how good uh, they are at. So there's good science topics, but we can discuss about the digital aliens for a second because they were especially Christopher Johnson and his eyes and the way he was breathing and like exhausted by the end with blood and he's slumped into his spaceship and the way he's slumped against the wall and his son comes on him and they go up exhausted. I just thought it was like in terms of the special effects that they did such a good job on the aliens, didn't they? Yeah. Amazing. And it was a $30 million budget. So... Um, but similar to what we spoke about with Jurassic Park, um, the truth of the matter is it's actually the direction that makes the VFX so good and, and stand up, right? Because a great thing about this movie is that the special effects are sort of in the background. They're not really like center. They don't make a big fuss about it. It's not central to the shots. And so it's kind of more believable. It's not like, here's this thing. It's just like normal. And of course, you know, it's all the documentary style and everything like that, which means that the shaky cam allows them, like it gives them ability to blur motion. So therefore it blurs the digital sort of the boundaries between what's digital and what's real gets blurred because they have a shaky cam. Oh, okay. Did you think of that? No. (laughs) Here's something else is that, is that something that Blomkamp realized because it was already known that if you shoot in the dark, then you can kind of blur CGI more because it's shot in the dark. So he realized it's the same thing that if you shoot under really, really bright light, it kind of has the same effect. Oh. If you would go and rewatch the movie, you would notice that it's shot under very, very, very bright. bright sun. Mm. Yeah. And often they have even the glare of the camera, like the, the camera glare. Um, from the sun it's like it happens a lot so the contrast is really really high and the shadows become very very long and that allows them as well to blur the cgi elements into everything that's really cool it is really really cool so it's like a combination of all of these all of these things which make the special effects look so good i i really agree with you purely just on the fact that i didn't really think about it 
That's right. Do you know? Yeah, it's like it, just I just never really thought about what the VFX was. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to kind of be like, I didn't pay any attention to the work that people I don't must think have done. about through. you at all, VFX. But I think it's what, <laughs> what is probably what, you know, they would want. That like, it's, mm-hmm. I was just watching the movie. I wasn't thinking about, I, there was no point where I was like, oh, that's a bit dodgy looking or, or I wonder how they did that. You can look at it afterwards and be like, oh, I wonder how they managed to draw me in so that I didn't think about it. But I think it's best when you watch a whole movie and you don't at any point pause to think, of, like pull you out of the story for you to have these questions. VFX is amazing though. Like we've talked, you know, we're starting to kind of pepper it into a few more movies, which I think is great because there's so many different areas. Styles. Like there's so many yeah. different things that they can do and techniques and so many things, yeah. so many different things that people must learn and, and all these experts that are required to achieve all oh, this stuff. It's, it's really amazing. Cool. Yeah. Um, but now that we're talking about the, how the aliens were made for the films, Let's go straight into talking about the aliens, I think. Aliens. Aliens. So they're humanoid for sure. For sure. But inter-alien, interspecies prostitution help. That's just <laughs> all I have to say about that. God. From what I can see, they're toothless. They have tendrils. That's what they use to masticate. Sort of seems to be. They have a tough exoskeleton, as mentioned. They have three fingers. They seem to breathe, like their lungs are kind of exposed-ish. They sort of breathe from the middle of their body, not from their mouth. I don't know. Um, And then they lay eggs. And the eggs are fed from the blood of some, as we see, they they put a cow there and then the eggs. It's disgusting, but kind of ingenious. (laughs) What did you think of our aliens? I was just curious. (laughs) I was curious about where they would have come from because mm. I was like, well, you know, they're breathing oxygen. So um, true that like they have to have come from a, sim- a planet with a similar atmosphere to us. But the reason I laugh is because I started kind of looking at it and I went down a really weird route. <laughs> oh, shit. I'm just going to tell you what's happened here. <laughs> it does make sense. I swear. Um, so like I said they must have come from a, a planet that has a similar atmosphere to us because they're able to breathe like on the surface without any problems it seems so they have to be carbon based and they're bipeds but like you said they've got this exoskeleton um, and I know the nickname is prawns but they're not water aliens you know they're they're out on land mm-hmm. and as you said they appear to be capable of intercourse interspecies intercourse but that's not how they reproduce because they're actually asexual and capable of self-fertilization so this is where i got this is where my my path went diverged because then i was like (laughs) okay asexual reproduction uh it's referred to as a parthenogenesis and i Uh think that this is what actually comes up in Jurassic Park when the female dinosaurs are able to lay the eggs because of the frog DNA, you remember? And then they, it's like, oh, it's all female dinosaurs, but then they have eggs and you're like, yeah, oh. Yeah. So procreation by, pathogen- uh, by parthenogenesis is normally seen in small animals such as bees, wasps, ants, and aphids. And I found this interesting because then I wondered if we could describe the aliens as an aphid as a form of an aphid uh, which are insects Um, 
because they do have a distinct insect-like um, appearance. And the only question would be, why so big? Like, how could they grow to be so big? And mm-hmm. when you actually look into it, there are some hypotheses out there as to why insects don't grow as big as us. And some suggest that it could be the exoskeletons would need to be like impossibly thick, although there's no real evidence for this. Some mm-hmm. studies suggest that the process of shedding would be required and that would make them more vulnerable to predators as they're growing. For sure. It's been shown that flies used to be larger, but then that made them be food. <laughs> and so over time, smaller flies were the ones to survive throughout evolution because they could like avoid predators easier. But the main reason why people, why um, they suggest that aphids wouldn't be as large as us is to do with oxygen saying that insects Mm. breathe through tubes and that there's a trade-off on the amount of oxygen they need for the size versus the size of the trachea. So basically, Ah. a larger size would mean they wouldn't have enough oxygen to survive because you wouldn't be able to get enough oxygen through their trachea. Um, But apparently, 300 million years ago, insects were much larger dragonflies <laughs> had a wingspan of about 1.8 meters social distancing Shut up. Um, and ants were the size of hummingbirds but this was oh when God. the oxygen content in the atmosphere was 35 percent versus today's 21 percent hey so interesting. interesting my assumption is yeah. that the aliens are aphids They come Mm -hmm. from an oxygen-rich planet where they were able to develop to sizes equivalent to us. But Hmm. while reproducing via parthenogenesis, they are essentially replicating, making a copy of the genes of the donor. And this means that they are essentially a genetically identical population. And this type of population would be more vulnerable to environmental changes and diseases than a genetically varied population, which could be Love why you. the aliens ended up <laughs> leaving their homeworld in search of a new planet. Oh, wow. That's what you think they were doing. Yeah. They were off to investigate somewhere else. That's where they came to Earth. You're going to laugh, but independently, my research brought me across parthenogenesis as well. Wow. Love it. Isn't that weird? <laughs> I mean, it's not going to come up. I'll tell you where it almost came up, but it isn't. But That's hilarious. Like, it, it's so funny because I actually had to, what is parthenogenesis? And it was like these animals that have been documented to have yeah. done that. Uh, this some snake that was like in lab conditions has a bunch of snakes. Yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. That it's we so were- funny because we, we've talked about it with frogs. Um, that's, I love that you did that. That's so fabulous. Um, something I loved about just like a a comment that I didn't have any other place to put it was that I love when they cut into the ship that they could just cut in. There wasn't any dumb shielding. It was just like angle grinders. They cut in. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Just, I just had no other place to put that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So they, uh, yeah, this whole, the, the, the theory that they have in Joburg is that they're sort of drones of a big race. Right. Um, even though that, like, like, the technology, they're obviously, like, uh, far more advanced um, in terms of their technology, right? Mm. So, like, they just had sent a certain subset of their people. I guess that they populate a lot because of the way that they populate. Yeah. So there's a lot of them. 
Like <laughs> there's loads of them and um, um, but their, their, their technology is really, really advanced. Definitely their weapons and their fuel is also sort of this weird biology, biological thing. And their aircraft was like piloted biologically as well. He sort of sticks his hands in this weird goop. <laughs> I don't know, you know, but yeah, there's the whole thing is that like they have these these weapons yeah and the weapons are incredibly advanced and they do crazy things like green flames and <laughs> exploding things and you know what did you think about their crazy their crazy weapons so yeah i mean the thing about the lasers is lasers i keep saying the lasers but that that's what they are they're laser guns like they're very clear right i'm not like you agree with me on that they have to be laser guns right yeah well they're sort of letting off a huge amount of power that seems to explode it kind of it reminds me of the beginning of spectral actually that weapon yes oh just like, yeah pew, pew, just exploding so, things it's sort of like that and it's super weird right because i was looking into it and i was like okay what kind of like what what are these what is going on because i've looked at laser weapons before and there's lots of talk about you know, whether we can and, and there are certain types of weapons that we can create, but not anything that would cause any actual damage in that way. And mm. but what's crazy about their approach is that they it's in sci fi land. What they did was they used what's referred to as a Tesla gun. Do you know what the Tesla gun is? What's a Tesla gun? <laughs> when Tesla, bless, was in his 80s and close to the end. He claimed to have created um, like what can only be described as a death ray. D- this is his actual state. This is Tesla's actual statement. My apparatus projects particles which may be relatively large or of microscopic dimensions, enabling us to convey to a small area at a great distance trillions of times more energy than is possible with rays of any kind. Many thousands of horsepower can thus be transmitted by a, steep, by a stream thinner than a hair so that nothing can resist. The nozzle would send concentrated beams of particles through the free air of such tremendous energy that they will bring down a fleet of 10,000 enemy airplanes mm. at a distance of 200 miles from a defending mm. nation's border and will cause <laughs> armies to drop dead in their tracks. <laughs> I know I don't want to laugh at Tesla but unfortunately there's no evidence that he ever actually created this weapon he said he did but he never wrote down or documented any of the plans he said that everything was in his mind and that's the only place it needed to be so basically I can't say how a Tesla gun would work and what would actually happen to a person's body because nobody fucking knows Shaw looks like this But do you know what's actually crazy about all of this, right? Is there's a quote from Neil Blomkamp. Is that, did I say his name right? Blomkamp? Sure. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll say it. it to you. Cool. Um, <laughs> there's a quote from him about the weapons. And he says, we did try to apply some kind of scientific thought to it. So the idea of those Tesla coils hitting the guy, what would happen would just be some sort of violent, almost like, molecular level of shredding no you didn't (laughs) where everything just gets pulled apart and if that's what it is on a conceptual (laughs) level then the visual way to achieve that would be just obliterating whatever the target was 
Making the molecules bounce, b- b- bounce, <laughs> bounce. <laughs> but I just, I just love this. I, I, I don't know. I just thought it was great. So basically, they, they're Tesla guns, but who fucking knows what a Tesla gun is. I love it. <laughs> Can you hear the birds chirping in my background? I hope, I hope it comes through. It's very cute. Um, that's so funny. Oh god. Can you hear the yeah, birds? Yeah, I just Do you hear know Mel- them there. Melbourne birds are so noisy. Do you miss that? Uh, we Wake have you them. Up in the morning. We to, have them in our uh, garden. We yeah. have birds. You have birds. <laughs> we have birds here too. <laughs> um, no, four a.m. That's birds. hilarious that's that he said that. Um, the weapons. That that thing about Tesla reminds me of. Look, look, people can people can be a, bit, a little bit crazy. That's a thing. But it reminds me of Fermat and his last theorem that he was like, "This is my theorem. <laughs> <laughs> no proof. <laughs> I'll leave it to generations of people to kill themselves over it." <laughs> Did he ever have a proof? No, he didn't. You heard it here first. No, he fucking didn't. <laughs> you know, they're crazy. Um, okay, so those, those are your awesome thoughts on the weapon. Thank you. Neil Blomkamp, he's given a lot of a lot of interviews, and so like there's actually loads of content of him talking about stuff. It's great. I love his stuff. Um the, the thing about the weapons is I was just curious and I feel like this is a real Abbey area. <laughs> um, bio triggers real or not real real or bullshit. Um, I'm going to call bullshit. Oh, come know. on. Well, the thing is, right? Like they, but they say it, they say, they say, don't they, that it's DNA, that it's the alien DNA that, um, the, yeah, the, they the do say on, a, on that so, molecular level. Like if you think about bio, so, okay, like biometrics is a thing that we have, you know, fingerprinting. Eyes, like, fingerprints. Facial yeah. recognition on your phone, for God's sake. Retina scans. You told us all about retina scans in Minority Report, wasn't it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, so there are people working on a DNA biometric lock. Like it is a thing that people are trying to do. But I was wondering, the thing is like... It's obviously not coded to an individual. It's coded to a species. Because how would yeah. Vickers be able to operate the guns if it was an individual? That would mean that, like, whatever the DNA he was generating. Mm. Anyway, it's just the species. So it's the alien species. So anyone, no matter who it is, of that species can use these guns. Um, but even at that, you still need to extract the DNA. You've got to amplify it. You've got to sequence it, check if it matches, like check if it matches the encoded lock and then allow the user access. So like even just amplifying the DNA for us can take hours, like never mind the rest of the process. So the only way that there's a biometric lock like this is if the alien race has figured out how to do all of this analysis in the space of seconds, which I suppose, I mean, they're advanced, so potentially. But mm. yeah, we we can't do it. <laughs> That's a very tropey thing in science fiction movies: is that analysis is take one second. Yeah, that maybe works. they got it from Theranos technology. <gasps> oh, she went there. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. No, okay, so that that's that's the thing. All right, um, District Nine, District Nine. Back to the movie. Um, so apart from the science in the movie, um, apart from the science, there's some, there's some other like issues that the movie brought up that are like 
something that I, it made sort of me churn in my mind a little bit. Um, first is a very uncomfortable. They sort of have this whole witch doctoring and consuming animal bits thing. Uh, by the way, did you know this movie was banned in Nigeria? Oh, I heard that at one point. <laughs> I mean, no shit. Yeah. But like, it's pretty. So it's pretty bad the way they represent. Um, they call them the Nigerians, which is just insane. But um, I think that the interesting thing about the movie, and Blomkamp has spoken about this, that he and he doesn't apologize for that because he says South Africa is a very layered society there are all these crazy layers Hmm. um of people exploiting people being exploited of you know there's black markets there's all this stuff in there which is just like it's very textured and very very layered um and similarly like i think in a society like that when it's that layered it's easy to blame people at the bottom who might be committing crimes and they're being presented to you as being really awful mm. but there's all these extra layers in there like with mnu and uh, international things as well um um and if we're talking about apartheid here it's like if you have a very oppressive society that it forces people to take power in other ways you can't just like take a group and show the behavior as if it happens in a vacuum and then like judge them for it. It, it doesn't work that way. And this movie kind of does it and it kind of doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think it does like a good enough job to like look at the Nigerians, uh, it, their behavior, like in context. But anyway, it just made me think like when I was watching it, is it, is this, is it anything real like that? Like people cutting off things and like devouring it because it makes it, you believe and it gives you power. And, and does that demand create a black market? And does that black market take advantage of people, you know, if the, 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 the cat food black market is sort of everyone's sort of taking advantage of each other. And while I was watching it, I was like, is this like the rhino horn thing that was like in my mind? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is this like okay. the whole thing with the rhino horn? Um, because I know that the rhinos are poached in South Africa pretty much towards extinction. Um, and I didn't know why. So it just made me think of it. So I looked into it, but... Um, no, it's actually nothing to do with any kind of witch doctory. Um, do you know why rhinos are poached so much for their horn? Is it? Oh, I, I thought it was trophies, but then I didn't understand why it would be trophies. I don't know what the horn is. There's trophies, but it's mainly to smuggle to Vietnam and China, uh, where rhino horn is believed to cure pretty much any disease. What? Yes. Yes. And the demand is so high that it drives this market in South Africa of people that poach. I mean, people poach so much and it's obviously very easy to blame the poachers, but the poachers are generally people trying to put food on the table. There's a huge black market in South Africa, but it's driven by this crazy demand to the point where there are only two northern white rhinos left in the world, both female, both unable to bear pregnancy. Mind you, rhino horn is made up of pretty much keratin. So it's kind of like fingernails. The good news is, and there, there is some good news, okay. Please is that the, the younger news. generation of Vietnamese people are more awake to the fact that uh, it's actually just driving the rhino to extinction and it doesn't do anything to cure any disease. Right. But those two northern white rhinos have four people guarding them at all times. Wow. <laughs> They're just like eating grass, having people guarding them. But the reason why pathogenesis came up was that, um, yeah, like they're two females. <laughs> like, oh. But it's not the fault of the poachers. It's the fault of the market. It's like, yeah, it, you can't take, as I'm saying, like 
when I look at this movie and the way they're doing the Nigerians, like they're just demonizing the Nigerians. Like you cannot take this behavior out of context, like, and just be like, ew. This, it's <laughs> like also it's being like, driven by this wider picture. But the other prospect is that, because the other aspect is that it's the same, it's the same argument as what we have right now with fuel and stuff. It's like, there is a limited supply. So even if we were to say, you know, just take all of the rhino horns. Now you have all of the rhino horns and there aren't any more. They're gone. So what do you do now? Mm. Like you have yeah, to find yeah, a solution like, anyway. So why are you waiting you for see? it to run out before yeah. you find a solution? Find the solution now oh and move God. fucking past that use. I know. And by the way, the more rare they get, the more expensive it gets. And the more reason there is to poach. Yeah. I the rhino hall the rhino thing I don't know really gets me it really 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 gets me because I just like I don't understand I don't understand why these things are so hard to stop like we can't even stop this you can't even stop the hunting of the rhino for their fucking horn which does nothing yeah it's so corrupt like the the country South Africa has become so corrupted around this trade because of how valuable it is that they don't even want to stop it like, we can't even stop this. We are just... These are the things which make me the most depressed <laughs> about our future. <laughs> I know, Sorry. I know, I know. It's not even that. It is. It's like you want to be positive about it, but it's as you said. It's like we can't stop mm. these things so long as the market exists. As long as the market exists, and it does, the country will not want to stop the illegal trade. People will not want to stop the trade. And um, people want to feed their families, and if this is a way they can feed their families... Who am I to tell them to stop? Why should somebody who is like living in those parts and who's just so oppressed and his life is so shit care about the rhino and care about these global matters? Like it's true. And at the end of the day, and this is why I'm kind of like becoming more and more socialist, but the, the fact of the matter is like we have all these global issues, but if people's lives have that much urgent need, they don't need to care about global matters. And so we have to help people's lives, their most immediate needs. We have to help ease their most immediate pain. Um, Once we do that to every person on the planet, then as a community globally, we can start to solve these bigger problems. That's why I say to somebody like Jeff Bezos, you have a lot of money. You alone could, could solve world hunger. You know, why are we putting people in space when there are people that are hungry? You know, like yeah. you, if you have enough money to solve people's most immediate crises of health and hunger, you know, do that. Then as a, as a community, global community, we can say, cool, what do we do about the planet? Yeah. It's, That's yeah. what I think. No, it's, it's so insanely true. I literally said these words just before we started recording. We were talking mm. about it and I was just like, it's it's quite simple, really. If every single person on the planet had a home and secu- like had a home and had food and their basic needs, how much happier and how much mm-hmm. like just how much happier would people be if they didn't have to worry about these kinds of things? And if you don't have to worry yeah. about these kinds of things, what would we be able to do as a people, as a world? 100%. Would be yeah. unbelievable what we would mm. be able to do if people didn't have to worry about these things. Those basic needs are the most important thing. Stop 
gaslighting us to believe that they aren't, that the poor somehow don't need to be taken care of, that the weak don't need to be taken care of, that they aren't valuable because they're not workers, or that people that are refugees shouldn't be taken in and given everything they need. It's like, it's like this crazy thing we're being gaslit by people in power to believe that isn't important. Yeah. It is important. It's fundamentally but even but even when you understand that it's important and even when you recognize that you're being gaslit, it's still happening. We're still allowing it to happen because none of us know how to stop it. None of us know how to actually stop them. And people just kind of go, oh, well, people will always find an excuse because so long as something would take effort from them, they will find a way to not have to do it. But that puts it on us. I'm saying if people if people are dealing with a lot of troubles, they will vote for the person who appears to meet their most like uh, urgent need. Yeah. I'm saying you can't put it on people. You, you're also like the fact is we have this oligarchy style thing rising as well in a lot of countries where someone like Jeff Bezos has too much power. Mm-hmm. So it's actually there are individuals where I'm like, mate, you need to set an example. You are putting yourself in space, you fuck. Like, he's actually going to space in one month. In a month. You know what I'm saying? In July, he's going to space (sighs) in his dumb rocket. Mate, we haven't even gotten to the animal experimentation. I'll go into the animal experiments. We'll go into the animal experiments right now because in this in this movie, there's so I said there's a lot of issues that come up, and one big issue that comes up is experimenting on animals, and we have kind of touched on this so lightly because we're kind of scared to talk about it. <laughs> so I don't think let's at least set some groundwork to talk about it later. And so I I sort of went into um to the um you know, the official guidelines from the government of animal experimentation just to sh- like, and this is sort of uh, universal, kind of, okay. but respect for animals must underpin all decisions and actions involving the care and use of animals for scientific purposes. The, the respect is demonstrated by, number one, using animals only when it is justified. Number two, supporting the well-being of animals involved. Number three, avoid avoiding or minimizing harm, including pain and distress to those animals. Number four, applying high standards of scientific integrity. Number five, and this is the most universal thing, is applying the three R's, replacement, reduction, and refinement at all stages, which means replacement of animals with other methods. Um, so computers, whatever, or cells. To the reduction, and reduction is reduce the number of animals used, and the refinement of techniques so that you are minimizing the use of animals and the adverse impact of animals. Um, and the last one, number six, is knowing and accepting one's responsibility. The, the interesting thing I find about this list is the high standards of scientific integrity that you have to apply to your work because if you don't have high sta- high standards of scientific integrity, the data might not be used and you have to make sure that if you're using animals, motherfucker, you better have a lot of integrity so that your data actually leads to good because this whole thing is predicated on the idea that the good we get from science is more important than the harm that we do to animals. And so if you're not applying a high standards of scientific integrity, you won't get the good out of it. Excellent. And that's pretty much the like six principles. Yeah. So um, how, it, how much are the high standards of scientific integrity that you think Emma knew were 
displaying in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they were following any of these. And first, yeah, they, they had no scientific integrity whatsoever. They weren't particularly concerned. So they were happy to be like, anecdotally, he blew him up. So whatever. Um, but in the context of the movie, the thing that I found so like tropey and like whatever is that this whole idea of like they have to harvest him yeah yeah? like by cutting him up awake or whatever um causing him harm well i don't understand why they wouldn't have just taken samples from him and kept him alive as long as possible to develop a cell wine right and then that's what you use for your experiments. Yeah, so, it was like, it, it was weird, right? Because even even at that, he's, even if you just have scientific curiosity, the process of what is actually happening to him, this entire change, this entire DNA structure changing, like, would you not be monitoring that in some way? Would you not be checking you know, is this, is this a virus? Is this, you know, just any Mm. other, sure there are many other reasons of different ways you would deal with that situation versus Mm -hmm. the let's harvest all his bits. Yeah. And and having a distressed subject also changes your results, by the way. Right. It's like, wouldn't that change things? Like you will have someone who's in enormous distress or all, all his vitals would be different. Um, Keeping keeping a sample comfortable is also like it, the benefit of your experiment being able to be prolonged mm. and your results being able to be like repeated. I don't know. There's a lot of good reasons to like treat him better than that. Yeah. I don't know. I hate, I hate this topic to be honest. Yeah. It's very <laughs> uncomfortable. It. This, but the, I it's think, awful. But that's what the, I think the wonderful thing, wonderful might not be the right word. But the but it is the wonderful thing about this movie. It's it raises very very serious topics, very uncomfortable topics. But they're things that like we have to talk about whether whether we yeah. want to or not. You can't just ignore these things in the world. So yeah, yeah. And that, do you know what? That's that's why we have art. Honestly, mm. that is why we have art. And it's just to it's to reflect something about ourselves and to make us look at it and to make us think about it. Yeah, and um. This movie definitely does that. It's like it really affects you, man. It yeah. really affects you. It, it, for all the shit, for all the stuff that we're kind of like criticizing about it, like it really has an impact. So I think with that, we can probably wrap up the content section of the podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> all right. Now that we've finished that, let's get into our most favorite section. What the fuck? Play some music. What the fuck? What the fuck? All right, Abby, um, is there something in this movie where you went, what the fuck? I have, I have two what the fucks. Brilliant. Um, so I, I don't know which one to go with first. I suppose I'll, number two. Okay, I'll go with number two first then. <laughs> um, why the fuck didn't the aliens just use their super duper explodey weapons on the idiot asshat humans? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, 
what's the next one i know it's like do we even need let's not even talk about it let's just leave it okay my next one (laughs) okay i'm gonna read this exactly as i have written this when that absolute total dickhead Vickers selfishly tried to fly the ship himself and obviously got it shot down like a total fucking twat and ruined everything because he's a complete prick. Yeah, I had that. Um, but like, what was he going to do when he got up there? I, I, I know. He's like, it's up there. I have to go. Yes, 100 percent. That was what I was yelling at her. What's your plan? What are you doing? Fucking prick. Oh, I fucking hated it. And then, and then when he runs away after and he's like, you can have him. Uh, um, and then he's like, fuck, fuck this. Fuck, I, I, fuck. I wrote down that scene at the end when he's in the suit and he just runs like a fucking coward. I hated him so much. Mm, I know. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay. My yeah, what the please, fuck is sorry, as follows. <laughs> Why does he have the codes to the bio lab if he didn't even know the place existed? <gasps> what the hell? Oh, I, he's like, Em and you, I have the codes to everything, including this ex- incredibly secret place. And I was like, and he walks in and he's like, what the fuck is this place? What are you doing to those animals? Can you say fuck the way he says fuck, please? Fuck. <laughs> oh, this fucking prods. <laughs> you fucking runt. I've got the little fucking sweetie man over here. Got your sweetie. Jesus. Fucking runt. <laughs> oh, the kiss. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love his wife. I like that all of our what the fox was about were about Vickers. Oh my God, how good is their voicemail? It was like, Ha, this is Vickers. And this is Charlene. Leave a message. We'll get back to you. Bye. They're like (laughs) the happiest, nicest couple in the world. (laughs) Anyway. All right, oh, I'm exhausted. It's 8.41 in the morning. It's 11.40 um, at night. I'm very tired. Let's wrap it up. Final verdicts. Did it pass the Sam's test? Uh, no. I mean, no. God, there are no females in our... <laughs> There's no female prawns. The prawns Unless are we asexual. actually say that the prawns are asexual and they're actually all They're women. all asexual. But they're all... But they're yeah. asexual. One so, yeah. of them had a bra. <laughs> um, but they were urinating in a way that's like a man. Um, yeah, there are no women at all apart from the lady who's like the Nigerians. Oh, yeah. So it didn't. Okay. Does it pass? Here comes the science. What does that I mean don't... for this movie? Yeah, though? I don't... Well, so. Um... I think in terms of... <laughs> If we say Solid. if we say social science, then yes, because I can't think of a more accurate depiction mm-hmm. of how humans behave. But for and like, I guess the whole science thing fiction, of like, it thing, was the then, weapons. Yeah, it was the weapons, and that was the reason, and that was why they were doing the whole thing, and like that felt pretty great. Yeah. So actually, now that I think about it, like the the presentation of the alien technology, I thought was like fantastic and I, I should give this a high score because of that i thought it was really really riveting the whole biotechnology and yes the captured and the module because, and the leaderless people but because the 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 aliens are the only ones that can operate the guns the fact that they didn't yeah like, uh, well i think they kind of that would that would be explained away by the fact that they're kind of worker bees and they're not organized i think that's that yes they're not able to organize i think that that was the thing that they said like they don't have they can't organize Mm. 
uh, I don't think. I think that was why they explained it. They weren't a threat because you have to organize. So, so I think that they were having like individuals using weapons. I mean, they're very, it's very easy to kind of suppress individuals. I think they had constantly helicopters. They had constant military oppression. So if they had little uprisings of a, of a small handful, I think it was even easy to oppress. I think that, yeah, that can be explained by the fact that they can't organize mm. an invasion because they have no leader. And they're kind of like, yeah. So that's what I reckon. Does that work for you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Great, done. All right, final verdicts. Uh, uh, how many prawns? How many humans did this prawn kill out of five? Um, I killed, this what it says, watch out for me. I've killed three humans. So how many humans out of out of five? I'm laughing because I'm like, I'm laughing at, like I'm just waiting to hear what you're going to say. Um because I'm, I'm going to like in, in keeping with the vein of the way that we have been marking movies and in marking them towards the science and like it is alien mm-hmm. science fiction and stuff like that. It has to be about 3.5. Mm, nice. Yeah, I think uh, I was going to say uh, this sign says I've killed four humans. Watch out for me. So I'm going to say four out of five um, because, yeah, I think that it's super cool science fiction. How much cool did you give The Martian? Fiction. You infuriate oh, me. Oh, yeah. Well, after The Martian, I started... So I'm going to... I'll put down to 3.8. I, I started to mark differently, but The Martian pissed me off because it just wasn't emotional. Oh, my <laughs> God. It's like a perfect science movie. And yeah, you but it just... It just I'm like, yeah. why do I go to the movies? Why do I go to the movies? I mean, yeah, like... but this I, isn't what... We're talking about science, man. I know, I, I understand that, and we've been over this a lot, and mea culpa, I gave the fly five, but when my heart sings, it sings, and my heart sings for this movie, I'm okay. going to give okay, it a four out of five. Okay, fine. I, th- I, I just I think to talk it's you down cool. I'm talking back up again. <laughs> it's cool. Okay, sorry, you're so tired. Sorry, I'm All so, right. sorry. It's like Abby, midnight. very I'm quickly. So to, I'm just chatting. I'm just like here to chat <laughs> with you, Abby. Thanks. I'm just so just in the mood of a chat. All right, Abby, what's the movie that we're doing next time? Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Tell me. Uh, we're doing The Meg. Oh, yeah, I've heard that's good. <laughs> I've heard that's weirdly like kind of great. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. I'm not doing I'm, I'm not so spoiling ex- anything for you. I love a shark movie. I'm not gonna. We lie. haven't done sharks. We haven't done the ocean. We haven't done anything underwater. We haven't done anything. Yeah. But I love that our first one is the Meg. The Meg, I and know. not you know, yeah. Jaws. No, 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 no. One day we'll do Jaws in like a there year. Was, there was, there right. was, yeah. There's a couple of other options as well in there. Um, and there's another. What's the other shark one? Um, ah, oh, Deep Blue Sea. Oh, I'm never seeing that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm never seeing that. Okay, it's I fine. don't know We're doing why. The Meg. Just, it's fine. I just knew. All right, The Meg. I think it's campy. All right, awesome. Join us in two weeks for The Meg. Next week, we're starting our new miniseries, Pixlexia and the Glitches. We're starting with Wreck-It Ralph. Yep. Sweet. All right, join us then. Get in touch at Science at the Movies uh, and on Instagram uh, or scienceatthemovies at gmail.com. Like, no one ever emails. I was like, I emails. <laughs> and uh, Twitter at movies underscore science. And we'll see you in the next episode. And let's let Abby go to sleep. Abby go to sleep. (laughs) All right.